powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to this week's Better Than Before podcast. I'm Tony Richards, and you know there's an old saying, your wealth is in your health. Leadership brings with it unique stresses and pressures, and if these things are not properly processed and handled in our emotional realm, they can oftentimes lead to problems in our physical lives. So on today's program, we're going to go back at the experts that we featured over the past few seasons and dive into health in the workplace. Health coach Sarah Sear spoke to us last season about making healthy choices. No matter whether I'm like teaching a class or doing it with an individual consultation, it really depends on two main things. Making good food choices are really about an individual concept of like what's best for you physically. What's the best diet for you to where you have enough fuel for your day? What's the best eating protocol that works best for your body? What's the best eating window for your schedule? And then the second part of that is where are you mentally or emotionally where you, are you where you need to be to get the results you want? Are you motivated versus being frustrated? Are you gaining confidence versus, let's say, like shaming yourself through it? I know where the root of some of my unhealthy choices come from. Um, so how do people break those cycles? Yeah, you really have to dive into where that starts. So the idea is that your thoughts about it are really driving your feelings, and those feelings are really what are causing you to go out and take the action that you're taking the action to do, which is eat poorly or to eat whatever you want to bring back the nostalgia or eat to bring you comfort or eat to help you relax or whatever it is. Stress relief. Exactly. And, and then looking at, is that getting you the results that you want? All right, so tell me, what would just generic, flatline, poor choices be, right? How do you define that? Okay, so I define it with overeating and what the definition of overeating is. Okay. So um, overeating is when you eat foods that are not fuel. So fuel is everything that's bringing you all the nutrients that you want. And it doesn't necessarily have to just be like a salad, right? It can be like a nutritionally dense food. It can be whole grains. It can be fish. It can be tons of fruits and vegetables. But nutritionally dense food is your fuel. So if you're eating foods that are not fuel and also you eat more food than your body actually needs. So you could be eating really healthy, but let's say you're eating all the time. Well, then you're eating more than your body needs. So those are the two things that are showing you that you're overeating. If you're eating things that are not fuel and you're eating more than your body needs and people know when they're overeating because then they're not in the body that they want to be and they don't feel good. And that's pretty much how you know. Mm. So what does over-desire mean? Yeah, so over-desire is a big one. Um, there's kind of two things that cause overeating. And the first one's when your hormones are out of whack. And that happens when your um, your blood sugar's off, like your insulin's off or your ghrelin's off or your leptin's off, which controls or tells you um, not only keeps your blood sugar level, but also when you're too full or when, or when you're, when you are full and when you are hungry. So if those hormones are out of whack and you can't know or feel when you are full and you can't also, um, know when you are appropriately hungry, then that's just like, 
that's pretty much most of us. Like when you eat things that are highly processed and high in flour and sugar and your blood sugar's off, then it's really hard to tell those those hormones are off. Um, like a bowl of pasta, for example, you know, I've always noticed that you can eat more pasta than you really, like you can eat, a, we can eat a lot of pasta. Right. Well, because that spikes up your blood sugar and then insulin turns around and blocks the hormone that tells you that you're full. And both of those end up working against you to where you overeat pasta. Mm-hmm. And it's like really easy to overeat pasta. And that's why, because those hormones are so out of whack. What about like Chinese food? Same thing. Yeah. You can overeat that stuff pretty quick too. Yeah. Same thing. And mm. yeah, so that's like the first reason is like your hormones are out. And the second reason is what you were asking me about, which is over desire. And that's not just about food. That's over consuming anything. Like we have over desire for things. We want to consume food and alcohol and shopping and social media and porn or Netflix, whatever it might be to feel better. And what we're doing is we're actually giving ourselves that rush of dopamine in our brain that makes you feel like you're doing something really awesome. And at the same time, you're avoiding what you don't want to feel, which is the stress of your day or something that's pissed you off or something that's, you know, really frustrating or you're just bored. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's just boredom. So can you quit that or, or is that something you have to replace? So you have to, in order to deal with over desire, you have to learn to allow negative emotions, which is something that we really don't know how to do at all. Hmm. And negative emotions sounds like such a bad thing, right? Like you have to feel negative emotions, but it's really like we think we're supposed to be happy all the time. And when we're not happy, then it's like, what can I go to do to fix that? I can't fix that situation. So I'm going to go make myself happy by doing this or Mm -hmm. eating that. Mm-hmm. And so we constantly are fighting, feeling negative emotion because we think it's such a bad thing. But in actuality, the human experience is feeling both 50-50, feeling good and feeling bad. Sometimes we want to feel sad. Sometimes we want to feel mad. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the dopamine. So uh, most people, they want that dopamine rush, right? Is that a healthy thing? Do you have to find other things to give you the dopamine rush or can you live without the dopamine rush? So for each person, it's different, but finding that balance of a short-term pleasure where you get a dopamine rush and the balance that you get your long-term pleasure to be healthy or whatever that long-term pleasure is, Hmm. is different for everybody. So really like looking at, you know, you're doing it wrong when you give yourself short-term pleasures, you overconsume something and then you feel guilty about it. And then because you feel guilty about it, you overconsume something else or more of the same thing because you feel guilty and you're avoiding feeling guilty. Oh, so you're like in a doom loop then. You're totally in a doom loop. Uh Yeah. So what is just some practical things that people can do to avoid getting in this vicious cycle so practicing feeling urges and negative emotions are kind of where I start with people we've like first we develop kind of a healthy protocol or like what they want their diet to look like and I say diet it doesn't necessarily mean like restricting things it means like let's set up a meal plan that feels really good to you and then stick with it and it can be mostly what you're already eating, but maybe you want to switch up a few things here and there just to prove to yourself that you can do it and gain some confidence and stick with it and not give in to the urges to get off of it. We'll continue our discussion on health in the workplace on Better Than Before right after this. Brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2020 Subaru Crosstrek. It comes with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive, plus an economical 33 miles per gallon. And the Crosstrek has the lowest five-year cost to own in its class for three years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. 
Love is out there. Find it in a Crosstrek. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Last year, Julie Holden, a certified psychological health and safety advisor, joined us to talk about the significance of mental health in the workplace. Mental Health America conducted a study called Mind the Workplace, released the results in October of 2017. And in it, they estimate workplace mental health is costing employers $500 billion in lost productivity annually. So it's really a significant problem. Couple other just quick stats. Employees with mental illness submit up to four times as many medical claims, and people suffering with depression submit on average around $15,000 a year in claims compared to almost 6,000 for the, the general population. Willis Towers Watson, which I know is big um, consulting firm in the U.S., they just um, conducted a study, and in it, almost 60% of employers plan on making workplace mental health a priority over the next three years uh, because they are seeing all of these increases. And they're seeing, you know, people suffering at work, so they want to do the right thing. Can we locate where all the stress is coming from in the workplace? There are things like um, workloads that are too high inflexibility at the workplace. It could be somebody that needs to work, you know, different hours or work from home or just have just different flexibility in the workplace and sometimes it's not available to them. Lack of training on new systems and tools. Not enough resources, uh, you know, again with, you know, right sizing or, you know, downsizing, you know, streamlining all these different terms all these things that organizations do to become more efficient and you know get better financial results impacts employees in different ways. So they don't have enough resources sometimes. They've maybe cut out a role or two. And that plays on uh, employees' uh, stress. Listening to you, some of your talks and reading some of your writings on the subject, how, how does stigma affect it? Yes, there have been gains around uh, stigma, but unfortunately, it's still a huge issue. Many employees report that they wouldn't tell a colleague or their manager if they were suffering you know, with a mental illness, uh, which is too bad. Um, they're concerned about what people will think of them, and they're concerned about how it might impact their job and their career. So they don't tell anyone. It also interferes with people getting treatment, you know, because they're not disclosing to people. They're keeping it to themselves and trying to just sort of struggle through, uh, which is really sad. 
80% of people that go for treatment for mental illness actually recover. So if people can get the help they need, they can be healthy again and uh, lead a productive life, including work. I understand, you know, I, about the stigma and, and worry and this, that, and the other. I suppose step one is recognizing I might have an issue. What What are the, you know, how do I know fairly quickly if I'm in that zone where I need some help? Yeah. Well, it's actually really good for employers to provide um, a health risk assessment tool for people to go online and answer a bunch of questions. I mean, there's ones that are specific to mental health. So giving employees uh, an opportunity to go in and answer questions and see how they're doing around their mental health is really good. So some of the things they might feel, though, if you're an employee is, you know, inability to concentrate not getting your work done, like starting to miss deadlines when you used to be able to focus and, you know, get a certain amount of work done in a day and suddenly you're just not, just feeling high anxiety and nervousness, those kinds of things. And and so do people think sometimes, I mean, I know um, maybe the, the uh, older generations might be more of, this is just something I need to work through. Like this is just a phase um, I'll, maybe I'm just having a bad week or something like that. So they delay, um, getting some treatment or help or something. They just try to work their way through it. It is. And that's, that's actually self stigmatizing. You know, we've got people stigmatizing us from the outside, but when we start thinking like that, we're actually self stigmatizing. And it's again, unfortunate because, uh, people can get better if they'll, if they'll go for help. But yeah, it is it's sort of that buck up, just get through it, you know, pull your socks up type <laughs> attitude. And, um, it's not good for people. They don't get better, you know, usually that way they struggle through and they don't feel well. We forget sometimes like we're made up of physical health and mental health and people, in the workplace, employers have done a great job, especially in the last you know decade or so, uh, working on uh, physical programs for people. But we also want to help people with their mental health and educating them and giving them training around that. We want them to say, okay, no, actually, I'm not feeling very well. And it's okay. It's okay for me to talk to someone and it's okay for me to go get help and maybe you know, have my work adjusted in a certain way and ask for an accommodation. It's all okay. And then I'll, I'll feel better. So I'd like to introduce this topic uh, to some of the CEOs and their executive teams that I coach. Help me here with the leadership's role regarding uh, dealing with mental health with employees. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the main thing leaders can do is really embed mental health into the culture, make it a business priority. It doesn't have to be a monumental initiative either, and organizations don't have to put a huge budget against it. They can build it over time. I mean, one of the simple things to start is just by sending a message to the staff about a commitment to workplace mental health. Also, leaders who share their own stories has a wonderful impact. Uh, when they start opening up, it's amazing what happens in a workplace. Having leaders trained at all levels on how to identify someone and, who's struggling at work and help them, like know how to identify it and then help them. Um, is a, These are all great first steps. So aside from uh, things from an initiative or a project type uh, approach, 
What are some things that employers could do to maybe reduce the stress level in the workplace or help employees uh, who might be showing signs of struggling with a mental uh, health issue or a mental health illness? What are some practical type things they can do to help that? Well, one of the first things I would do is conduct a survey of the employees around mental health in the workplace because that will help to inform next steps. The survey, uh, can it will get at things like stigma. It will identify what's really causing stress in their particular workplace. Because before you know, you know, really what's causing them stress in your workplace, you know, you don't know exactly what, what programs or policies you should implement or what things you should do. So some employers like to do an online knowledge um, survey. Others like to, uh, depending on the workplace, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, spread out across the country or whether it's just in, in one, one place, they might want to do um, employee forums where they sit down and chat about it. One of the first steps really is to start the conversation, just to start talking about it so that people can understand that they can talk about it as well. So if you think back over the clients that you've helped over the last few years, um, of course, without divulging identities or company names or anything like that. Can you sort of give me an overview of a really strong success story? Um, somebody that you worked with where the situation was not good at all and they put some things in place and it really, really made things better for the employees? Sure, yeah. Because um, it's so nice to talk about success stories. So I was working with a with an organization, a manufacturer, and um, they had a few different sites. They were experiencing a lot of turnover. Reports of people uh, talking about high stress situations, uh, people leaving and um, uh, going off on disability as well. So it was really impacting this organization's productivity. Uh, the first thing we did was the uh, knowledge survey. This is something that that I have that that organizations uh, like to utilize. So we did that in this this situation, and through that we were able to identify the top drivers of um, what was causing stress in the workplace, and also identify some opportunities for training. So. Um, so after the survey, you know, we also communicated the results of the survey to the to the organization so that they could be involved and they could see what was, you know, things were being done um, and, and that they were being heard. Some of the things that came out of the survey were these opportunities for training and also uh, the people didn't feel recognized. It's very important for people to feel recognized for the work that they're doing. So in any event, we took this information and we put together some training modules first for people managers and then for all employees um, because we wanted everyone to have a, a good understanding of mental health and how it can impact the workplace and how employees can work with their employer, in this case the manufacturer, um, around uh, what can what can be made better for them and how, how people can be accommodated at work. They reviewed workloads, they re reviewed scheduling because scheduling was an issue. They did a lot of training with their people managers um, so that they could change some of their behaviors. A couple of different policies were put in place, like um, harassment policy and respect in the workplace policy. So these types of things. And we you know, have been working on this for a couple of years, and there's been a tremendous amount of growth 
things are turning around and, and it's uh, just a much better place for people to work today. Yeah. You mentioned uh, turnover, which is very expensive. You mentioned lower disability payouts. Uh, you mentioned uh, some efficiencies and things like that. Are there any other advantages that employers can gain from taking action on this really important item? Well, it really impacts health claims over time as well. I think I mentioned at the outset that, you know, for example, someone with depression uh, puts in on average almost $15,000 in claims, uh, whereas someone in the general population who doesn't have a mental health issue or depression in particular puts in um, less than half of that, like almost 6000 So over time, the health claims will come down as well. The, the expenses for absence, disabilities, health claims, you know, turnover, um, a whole host of things. Um, and ca- I mean, this, this is also casual absence, the people that are off a day here or a day there. I think I saw a statistic actually that folks have up to 21 days on average absence if they have a mental health uh, issue in, in the U.S., uh, which is huge. So all of these things combined really add up to a lot of money and a lot of uh, lost productivity. So turning it around, of course, uh, helps employers save on all of that. Keep it right here to hear from more health experts when Better Than Before returns. The 2020 Subaru Crosstrek. It comes with standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus an economical 33 miles per gallon. And the Crosstrek has the lowest five-year cost to own in its class for three years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love is out there. Find it in a Crosstrek. University Subaru. Homegrown. I'm proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday morning coaching memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday morning coaching memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We're back, and in our last segment today, Dave Kinney, a certified brain health coach, goes into the impact of brain health on business. It impacts uh, perform- human performance, and that's really, I mean, the bio is, is a generous bio, but really what it's about is human performance, and that's what drives me, and, and I love that, and, and how can we be better, and there's so many people, especially in business, who are really driven for that want to excel, want to optimize their performance. So whether that's a salesperson or a sales team, sales manager, an executive, uh, I believe that uh, businesses uh, can perform better, attain more, be more profitable, make, make a greater impact on our communities when the individual themselves are actually flourishing. And that begins with the, the simple connection of brain drives behavior. And when you get that, then you begin to go, well, what can I do? 
You know, uh, as we've studied this neuroscience category, as it becomes more and more accepted, we hear more and more about a term, neuroplasticity. And you talk about how that's a, that can be a competitive advantage for business people. Yeah, it's a great place to start, Tony, because uh, you and I both grew up in the Nancy Reagan era where there was commercials on TV and they had a frying pan and put the egg in and said, that's your brain on drugs. And if you do that, you're toast. It's done. That ends up not being the case. Um, I'll go back actually to the 1960s. Marion Diamond, incredible woman, a neuroscientist, but her work was discredited for a long time, for a number of decades, because she was a woman in the 60s. And but her, she was the founding neuroscientist of neuroplasticity. It's been accepted though and adopted in, in, as a truism in science in the last 15, 20 years, less than less than 20 years, which in science is brand new. There's a new baby right now. Well, here's what neuroplasticity is. You, what you have is not what you have tomorrow. Every one of us have the ability to change and rewire our brain, but be careful with that. Because if, if that means if I do certain things and feed it certain things and put, put good food in and exercise, oxygen, sleep, if I can, and my environment, if I can rewire my brain to perform better, that also means I can do things to harm my brain. So it's so you have to you have to take both sides of that, and now when you begin to accept that, you, then the next question is, well, what can I do? What about addictions? Like, how how does that play into? I mean, I I certainly enjoyed and do fondly remember the commercials with the frying egg, um, <laughs> but but how does drug addiction work where the brain is concerned? First of all, you and I are both showing our age, don't no I? doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. First, first of all, you can't find it. There's no single definition to an addiction, and it's been reclassified in the DSM-5 as a substance use disorder, SUD, um, or an addiction. There's, it's difficult to find a um, single definition in the world, and, but you do hear it's a brain disease, and then you also hear it's a disorder. Those are the kind of the two common things, and it depends on where you're coming from. Uh, people have different biases there, but there's one commonality in any definition, and that is it's the brain. And it's the brain that craves, craves a substance or an activity. It's not the liver, it's not the lung, it's not the heart, it's not the kidney, go down the list. The brain is craving something. So whether that's the excitement of shopping and I'm changing my brain, now it's also social media and I'm changing my brain, I'm getting dopamine from that. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a marijuana or any other drug, so your number one question is what about addictions and all that? So when you, if you had, if any of us, if any of our loved ones had a kidney or liver issue, we wouldn't sit down in a group in a circle and start talking about that. Certainly a heart issue. If I've got a bad heart, there, are, there may be lifestyle issues that I, that I could use to support in a group about lifestyle issues. Great. But the first thing I would do is functionality. Look at how my heart is working, what's wrong, and physiologically do some things to correct that. So we really approach uh, people who um, use substances or, act, or self-destructive activities uh, from, a, from a brain first approach. You know, I work with a lot of, uh, of executives primarily on how can I get an edge? Um, how can I improve my performance? Where can I find that lever um, that I can pull on or push on to give me, 
you know, that extra special thing. And so as we kind of talk about performance today, let's talk about how, you know, the brain plays into that. And what, what's, what's something that you think is a really important tactic or thing that a person could do to improve or enhance their performance in their career? Well, well, number one is to focus on a brain healthy lifestyle. And you talk about leadership, and I don't care if you've got a group of six or a group of 600. Um, the number one thing in, le- in all leadership is you've got to take care of yourself first. And you as the leader of a group have to make sure that you're on point. And, um, you know, it's, it's like even as parents are leaders, you know, it's not the do as I say, not as I do thing. Uh, so it, it really is important that number one, if you want to we all know about exercise. We all, we know, we all know a little bit about food and movement and the benefits of that, but no one's ever talked about brain health. I'm not talking about your, although your body's hugely important, but I am talking about your brain. And when your brain is in a sympathetic dominant state, so it's in a state of fight or flight, you're going to make different decisions. You're going to struggle. Your digestion is actually going to be impaired because you're under constant stress. Like a saber-toothed tiger is always after you. There's always something you got to look over your shoulder with. But when your brain is in a parasympathetic dominant state, it's like the brake on in a car, I'm going to be emotionally frozen. I'm going to have a hard time networking. I'm going to have a hard time, you know, and I've got to really push through with my willpower. And this isn't about willpower. This really is about brain power. So when your biocomputer, your, your biological computer is working at an optimal level, think of, um, think of our phones. Our fo- the energy on our phones goes down when I have 20 apps open. And when I close 18 of them and I'm just using two things, my phone works faster, works better, and works longer. Same thing in our brain. One of the things that we've learned over the last 25 or 30 years is, and I always believe this, but there wasn't really a way to prove it, but we now have data where we know that not everybody's motivated by money, that there's a great deal of the population that is really energized and motivated by other particular things. However, if you're in sales, it definitely helps if if a return on your investment of time and effort uh, is equaled to some kind of monetary reward, right? And so do people ask you, hey, if I do some of these things you're talking about, Dave, uh, is that going to boost my sales? What's the answer to that? 100%. I can't, I can't tell you your sales are going to go up 100%, but I can tell you if you follow a brain-healthy lifestyle, you, your performance will be enhanced. Uh, your ability to to um, uh, network your ability to ask and close for a sale. It becomes very different. Your, your approach to relationships, it becomes um, um, less rigid, much smoother, more genuine. And everybody's looking for that. Your ability to, to articulate a message becomes smoother. Where does that come from? comes from a brain. So there's no question about that. When you move into a brain healthy lifestyle and you do things for a number of months to enhance your brain, um, you're, you, there's no question that you become more effective, whether that's in sales or human resource department. So then, the you know, the salesperson or the sales manager says, okay, I'm convinced you've, you've got my attention. So what do I do? How do I increase this brain power? <laughs> well, that's, a, that's the, that's the million dollar secret sauce. And that would really depend on, on individual places, 
um, and, and what's going on. But I, but I can share with you from an individual place, first of all, what are we doing with nutrition? What's going on there in, in both at home and at work? Do we have vending machines and a lot of sugar? Because that, that sugar actually does not help a brain and caffeine doesn't help a brain a whole lot. One, one cup of coffee in a day, that's fine. Three and four, no, because you restrict blood flow to the brain and the, blood, and the brain loves oxygen. So that's something that would, inha- would impair people. And, and if you're living off of that, you're not living a brain healthy lifestyle. So from a, from a food point of view, we're talking about, you know, we, we promote a paleo lifestyle, which is the macronutrients of clean proteins, uh, carbs, carbs from veg, you know, about 70% of your plate being veg, either lightly cooked or raw. Uh, we're talking about good fats, the brain loves and the body does well on good fats, coconut oils, avocado oils, olive oils. Um, not the seed oils or the grain oils, those become toxic to us. And so when you begin to, to, to Tony, if you look at um, racehorses, racehorses are fed a diet that optimizes their performance, but we humans typically eat a diet of convenience. What I'm encouraging people to do is to say, wait a minute, what foods are good for my brain? Avocados, amazing for your brain and great energy throughout the day. And you don't get you don't have the crash mid-afternoon and get the hangries. So it really is understanding how can I eat to, to optimize my brain performance, my overall performance. Um, oxygen is a big thing. What am I doing during the day? Am I moving? Am I breathing? Am I even in the winter in the Northeast? Um, use the stairs in the office and you do that for a break. Get the heart pumping. You don't have to work up a sweat. I'm talking about oxygen for your brain. You'll be far more alert. Uh, one of the things, one of the tricks is uh, you mentioned orthomolecular, great big word. What it is, is vitamin IV therapy and most natural paths, most good natural paths offer this. And we're talking about amino acids for your brain, an essential building blocks of uh, essential vitamins and minerals as well, because the ground today that our food is growing in is not the same as it was a hundred years ago. And instead of getting like a teaspoon of supplements, this is like a wheelbarrow full. And because it's by IV, it goes right into our system. We don't lose any through the digestion and absorption issues. So if you really want to talk about that, there are some little tricks that you can do. You can find a good natural path and do that. I love it. Uh, And also you want to talk about sick days. Uh, I don't get sick. And that's because of my body is is, um, certainly fueled properly and, and also sleep. A lot of people say, no, no, I can, I can crank out. I can do it in five hours. Your brain actually shrinks. Think about this. Your brain shrinks in size and slows in function under, with less sleep. And we've all had those days where groggy, so you're reaching for the coffees. Well, that's your brain saying, hey, we, don't, we haven't had enough rest. Your brain operates at a, at a higher level with seven, eight hours of sleep on average. So is, is sugar classified as a chemical as far as the brain is concerned? <laughs> well, sugar's, sugar's a stimulant to the brain, and it overstimulates the brain. But also what sugar does is it releases insulin in the body. So sugar, has, sugar actually has the, the reverse effect of what you want. 
Um, and, and so you may get energy, well, you will get energy for a short period of time. Then insulin gets released into the body. And by the time the insulin catches the sugar, the insulin keeps releasing as the sugar begins to drop. And you actually end up below where you were because there's more insulin in the system to regulate that. So you're, you end up below where you were when you started. What are you going to reach for? You're going to reach for more sugars. And um, so even the fruit, a fruit is way better than anything than, than you know, a, a candy or something or a chocolate bar. But, but even, even fruit through a uh, sugar through fruit should be moderated. And, and so have some great coconut whipped cream with it. So fats, here's the difference. It's like building a fire. Sugar is like um, a, a tinder or, or newspaper to start the fire. It burns hot. It burns quick. So it does work, but it burns out right away. So you got to replace it. But, but uh, good fats and good proteins and good carbs, it's uh, but good fats like a big log on the fire. It will burn hot for hours. And the same thing with your energy, your focus, your memory, all of that will improve when you eat a brain healthy lifestyle. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to mention those two things, especially, and I know those, those two are really, really, uh, important as far as performance in any executive role and especially in a sales role, because you're dealing with clients and you have to have the ability to focus. And you also have to have the ability to remember uh, a lot of what your client is telling you. And I can't tell you how many times a client would say, well, I'm really impressed that you heard us say that, that you really listened to what we had to say because you remembered what they said, you were focused and all that. So what are some things for focus and memory that you recommend? And, and, I, and I know you know this in your training too. It's not just what they say, it's what they're not saying. And the ability to listen that deeply is when our brain is calm and slow. So if I'm in an anxious state and I'm, and I'm worried about something, my, my ability to listen and hear at a deep, intimate level is impaired. So the first thing we've got to do, again, is help our brain operate at a more calm level. Think of the iPhone example I just gave you, where you're closing all the apps. Now I'm able to focus better. So the number one, the number one things are, again, I'm going to go back to the basics. Sleep, seven, eight hours. Movement, no oxygen. Nutrition, think about vitamin IVs, but also when you eat, what are you doing in the morning? If you've got a big presentation, what are you eating that morning? And are you, or you skipping breakfast and just having coffee because you got to go and you got to crank it out and you got to get ready. I'm going to tell you right now, that's the worst investment you just did. You, that investment of 20 or 30 minutes to have some eggs, some greens, um, and don't have a juice. You're going to, there goes your sugars through the roof. If you want to have one coffee in the day, you can have one coffee, have some water, move your body. Uh, meditation is an amazing tool. Meditation, we used to think in neuroscience, meditation was used to calm brain pattern. It actually is the opposite. Um, med good meditation, we follow something called Ziva Meditation out of uh, New York City's great program, a great education program, and it's easy to do. People are saying, I don't have the time. Actually, investing 20 minutes a day have, been, have shown to increase performance two and threefold throughout the course of a day. So um, I would tell you, if, if I was to say to any business leader, if you give me 20 minutes a day to your sales team and we can double their performance, what do you think? They'd be, yeah, let's do that. 
So, so it's really about preparing for that day, that sales meeting, that presentation, the memory of, of that you need, the recall that you need, the alertness that you need. What have you done hours before or two days before leading up to that? Or have you been burning the midnight oil preparing? Um, college students, worst thing you can do for an exam. The absolute, and I, and I did a lot of this, Tony. I stayed up a lot because I wasn't doing my work. And so I had to, had to get caught up and cram before finals. And I think every college student or most of them do that. It's the worst thing to do. The best thing to do is shut it down about 9, 10 o'clock the night before. Turn all your electronics off. Get a good sleep. Get up. Move your body. Do movement first. Have water first. And then have a protein, fat-based, veg-based breakfast. Now go. And your brain is going to be firing on all cylinders. Making health choices that improve our physical, mental, and brain health are really important. We need to have development in all these areas if we're going to continue to be healthy enough to pursue all our dreams, all our visions, and all our goals. If you'd like to hear more of the interviews from Sarah Sear, Julie Holden, or Dave Kinney, visit our website and the podcast archives we have for you there at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Well, that's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.